Romans 5, verses 12 through 19 this morning. Happy Independence Day. Yay. Happy Freedom Day. We are in the middle of the text here that just obviously it should remind us that Jesus was willing to die for our freedom from sin and death. Last Sunday, we saw God's love for us demonstrated at the cross. Look at it. Romans 5 verse 6. This is what we covered last Sunday. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. You can put your name in there. Christ died for the ungodly. And Paul's pretty amazed at it. He goes, for, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates, that is, he shows his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners. Now, here's the thing. All the rest right now, all of us are sinners, right? But this word sinners here means devoted to sin. While we were still completely devoted to sin, Christ, it says, died for us. That's how much God loves us. He demonstrated his righteousness, uh, his, his love for us, even while we least deserved it. Verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood. What does justified mean? Just as if I had never sinned. God has a way apart from the law to make you just as if you'd never sinned. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were, notice, reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received, notice again, the reconciliation. Three times in those last couple of verses, that's where we left off, by the way. Three times in those last couple of verses, we see the word reconciled, reconciled, reconciliation. It's a commodity word, first of all. That is, it's something that you do to your bank book. Well, you do, right? <laughs> if I had a bank book, I would. Um, reconciled, right? It, it's a commodity word. It means every dime must be accounted for. In spiritual terms, it means every sin must be accounted for. So it's a commodity word, but it's also a relationship word. When you reconcile two people, what are you doing? You are bringing them together, those who have been at war. Okay? That's where we left off. Jesus, it says, has reconciled us to God the Father. We were at war with Him, but He reconciled us by paying every last dime of our debt, of our sin. Okay, for paying for every sin that we've ever committed. If you've given your life to Jesus this morning, you are, this text declares, reconciled with God. You're right with God. Everything is good. Every last sin is paid for. If you've not given your life to Jesus, you need to be reconciled with God. And it only happens through Jesus you need to make everything right between you and him. Now, maybe some of you are thinking right this minute, well, wait a second. I, I never declared war on God. I never rebelled against him. 
Well, the Bible says that you did. Let's call it a family feud. Your great, 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 insert a whole bunch more greats. Grandpappy, Adam, began a feud with Almighty God. And it's lasted much longer than the Hatfields and the McCoys. Romans 5, verse 12, you'll see it. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Here's what Paul's doing. He is reminding us, he's rewinding history. He's showing us why we need to be reconciled with God the Father. It all started with one man's rebellion. The reason that there's death in the world. You hear so many people say, well, if, if God's a loving God, then why is there so much misery in the world? Well, it's because of this one rebellion that in, injected, infected sin into our whole existence, our world. Okay, It all started with one man's rebellion. Everybody say, thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam. See, you know the story, right? God creates this perfect world. It's perfect for Adam and Eve to enjoy. They enjoy this great fellowship with God. It says they were walking in the cool of the day. They were talking with God. They were naked and they weren't even embarrassed, right? There was no shame in this place. They had the best food you could imagine. And it's all organic. (laughs) And it doesn't cost any more. God says, look, you can eat anything you want. The the whole world is yours. You can have anything you want, eat of any tree, just not this one tree. And Adam goes, which one's that? God says, look, if you eat of this tree, on that day you will surely die. And you know the story. Eve gets fooled by the serpent. But according to 2 Timothy, Adam is not fooled. He was not deceived. No, he sinned with his eyes wide open. Adam's sin was full on rebellion. And on that day, he began a feud with God Almighty. He rebels against God. And just like God said would happen, Adam dies on that day. Now you say, wait a second. He didn't die that day. Well, physically, he did not die for many, many years. But spiritually, the Bible says that very same day he died. Okay? Here's the thing, though. It wasn't just Adam and Eve that were affected. We all, we're we're sons of Adam, right? That means we were in that DNA. We were in Adam on that day. Verse 12, therefore... Just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Paul says, look, Adam 
sinned and brought this sin into the world. Paul says sin is like a virus, right? Adam is typhoid Mary. Everybody say, thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam. Adam brought the bird flu, if, as it were, and then flew the coop. Adam brought the swine flu and left us in this pigsty. What a pig. Through Adam, it says, sin entered our previously perfect world. And what the Bible says is what always follows sin is death. The wages of sin count on it like payday. Well, maybe even more so than payday. The wages of sin is death. No one is unaffected. Everyone is infected with this sin nature. We were born sinners. It's in our DNA. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam. Think about it, even babies, right? It, you can see it. That we are born sinners. Babies are born selfish. I can't remember. I think it was Augustine that said, yeah, you look at a baby and you think it's so cute, but, you know, if he had the power, if he had more strength, that baby would reach out and strangle you. Think about it. Babies are, you don't have to teach them to be selfish. They'll basically say, look, you'll feed me or I will make your life miserable. <laughs> it's in our DNA to be selfish. Sin. Sin is in our DNA and the wages of sin is death. Okay, now I want you to track with me on verses 13 to 14. It's a little bit difficult to follow because, well, it makes me, it encourages me actually. Because Paul kind of interrupts himself here in verses 13 and 14. How many other people do this? I do this. I'll start like seven sentences and maybe finish one if I'm lucky. Okay. Paul finishes all of his sentences. But what he does here is he's interrupting himself a bit. Uh, look at it. He says, verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Now, this is going to actually come in quite a bit handy in our next lesson as we go through. He's going to talk more at the end of chapter 5 and at the beginning of of chapter 6, where he's tying in the law here. But let me hopefully fill this out for you. See the word transgression there at the end of verse 14. Transgression, it means to step over a line, over a boundary. Okay? Adam sinned, but his was a specific kind of sin. It was a transgression where he stepped over a line in the sand that God said, don't eat this tree. And he said, well, I'm going to eat it. Okay? Adam transgressed because there was a line in the sand that God had made, right? Moses. Now, fast forward to Moses. Moses brings in the law. That's a whole bunch of possible transgressions, lines in the sand. Thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Lines in the sand, okay? But what about the people in between? Adam, who crossed the line, and then Moses brings in all of the lines, and people cross over them. What about those people? That's what Paul is addressing. Well, here's Paul basically says, look, just because they didn't cross a line, a specific line, does not mean that they didn't sin. Let me give you a kind of a ridiculous example, but it should illustrate it pretty well. Cain, for instance. Okay. 
we don't have a record of God saying specifically to Cain, don't kill your brother. So he didn't transgress, but it was a sin, right? Paul basically is saying in verses 13 and 14, hey, you know how, you heard the joke, how can you tell a politician's lying? His lips are moving, right? Paul says, you know how you can tell everybody sinned from Adam to Moses? They all died. The evidence is that every single one of them died. Okay? And here's where ultimately Paul is, Paul is going. Verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Paul's point is this. Death reigned. The, the, the word reign there is basilio. It's a royal word. It means to be king, to exercise kingly power, to exercise the highest influence, um, to be in control. Paul's point is this. Because of Adam's one act, he ushered in, he installed a new king on the throne. The king's name is death. And, and death will not be resisted. Right? I mean, you can look in your newspaper this morning. You will see ob- the obituaries, right? Still an amazingly accurate death rate of one to one. Death is king. And unless the Lord comes, until the Lord comes, everyone will as it were, if you understand what I mean, bow before this king. In other words, we will all be called to be the court jester, to nervously entertain this king, right? Nobody has been summoned into this king's chambers and come out permanently except for Jesus, right? Jesus called back Lazarus from this king's chambers and showed that he has power over death. But where's Lazarus now? He's dead, right? Right? But we know that he's in heaven. Here's the point. Adam installed a new king. Death. Everybody say, thanks a lot, Adam. Okay, that's the, the rebellion in a nutshell. One man, one act, global consequences. That is your great, great Great, 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 grandpappy. Welcome to the Adams family. And that song, kind of theologically correct. We are creepy and we're kooky, mysterious and spooky. We're all together ooky, the Adams family. Right? I mean, that's what we've been learning in all of Romans. It's like, we're ooky. We're a mess. We're unrighteous. Where God is righteous, we don't measure up. Because of Adam, we're all together ooky. Like filthy rags before God. You guys remember the last scene in, in the garden? Remember that God, the, the Adam's family is walking out of the garden? And God assigns an angel to guard the tree of life so that they would not eat of the tree of life. You know why? Because God didn't want them to be forever in the state of uki. He didn't want all of humanity to be living forever the messed up way that we are. 
Okay? Now look at the end of verse 14. This is where it kind of starts to blow your mind a little bit. Speaking of Adam, it says, Adam is a type of him who was to come. Type. In the Bible, the word means a picture, um, a preview of coming attractions. Paul is saying, check it out, believe it or not, Adam, who rebelled, points to Jesus, who reconciles. You're like, I don't see the similarities. Well, I agree with you, but... What he's saying is, look, you, you need to think of this in terms of the, the influence that these two men have had. Okay, both Adam and Jesus, first of all, though, began sinless. Both of them began their lives sinless to much different uh, endings, right? But both Adam and Jesus, in one act, affected the whole world. See, that's where Paul's going here. Again, you've got to engage your mind a little bit here. But I want you to read verses 15 through 19. I'm going to read, and I'm going to pause when I want you to read the word one. And you'll see what, what Paul's doing here. Okay? Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by the one man's offense, that's talking about Adam, many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Second example, um, and the gift is not like that which came through the one man who sinned for the for judgment, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification for if by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of the righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. You see it? Comparing, con contrasting, verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Here's the point. Paul stands before you two men who affected the whole world. In verse 15 and beyond, Paul's now going to compare and contrast the acts of these two men and, and their results and, and what it means to us. Okay? As we go through, I want you to look at, hey, which man are you identified with? Which, which person is your family tree go back to? Okay, first, let's look at the results of these two men. Okay, what were the results of Adam's sin versus Jesus' salvation? Verse 15, but the free gift, okay, he's talking about Jesus' free gift of salvation is not like the offense, that is Adam's offense against God when Adam rebelled back in the garden. He says, for if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Paul says, look, that yes, they're a type, right? Adam was a type and points to Jesus, but man, they couldn't be more different in this sense. Adam's offense infected us, right? You could say, after looking at verse 15, Adam's sin resulted in one mass grave. Because it says, For if by the one man's offense many 
died. He brought sin into our DNA. Right? We're not just sinners because we sin. No, we sin because we are born sinners. He brought sin into our DNA and death always follows sin. The result of Adam's offense was a mass grave. But guess what? The result of Jesus' free gift? Massive grace. The, the result of Adam's sin is he infected us and the result was a mass grave. But Jesus, if you will let him impute to you, he will give you massive grace. Now, you all remember what grace is, right? Unmerited favor. Not something you can earn. You can't earn it. God's riches at Christ's expense. It means when God is good to you, even though you don't deserve it. Not because you're good, but because God is good. I want to show you in verse 15. Even if you just look at the amount of words, if you look at the text, I think the message is clear. Here it is in verse 15. God's grace is greater than Adam's grave error. Let me put it a different way. God's massive grace dwarfs Adam's mass grave. Do you see it? Look at verse 15. It's crowded with words like this. It says free gift. What's a free gift? Not one you can earn, right? One that's just given to you. And it says in verse 15, much more the grace of God. There's another grace word, gift word. And then it says, and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. And then to top it all off, it ends that verse in the word abounded. It means overflowing. Y'all, you see what a terrible thing Adam did to us? But what an awesome thing Jesus secures for us that is so far above what Adam has done. See, Adam's sin infected us, resulting in a mass grave. Let's everybody say, thanks a lot, Adam. But Jesus' gift can be imputed to us, resulting in a much more massive grace. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. Paul goes on, verse 16, And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. This is the part that reminds me again of the oil spill. It's like it starts in one place and it spreads, right? And we're all going, how in the world is this going to end? Okay? Um, But it says... But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. I, you know, it's probably a terrible illustration, but somehow in in that picture would be a person who was able to scoop up all of the oil and dispense with it completely. Okay, that's, that's what he's saying here. Paul has already compared the results of Adam and Jesus, but now he's going to talk about in verse 16 the ruling that was handed down according like according to God about you. What does God think about you and your sin? Verse 16, the gift is not like that which came through the the one who sinned. For the judgment, okay, the ruling, which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. Okay, how many were with us in the early part of chapter 3? You guys remember the whole courtroom scene? There's a banner over here that says, sinners condemned. Not fit for heaven. If I let you in, 
Okay, it's a really long banner. Um, <laughs> if I let you in the way you are, you'll ruin heaven. So I'm not going to. Condemned. That's what this banner says. But over here, there's a banner that says, Perfect and fit for my righteous heaven. Okay? Two banners. If you remember, Paul threw us under the bus. Chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 3, verse 20. Said it over and over again. You're not righteous. You're not righteous. Oh, yeah, I see you. You're not righteous. None. No, not one. No one's righteous. Paul made us take that perp walk to take our place under this banner. Okay, what we have here in chapter 5, Paul says, just so you know, the reason you're under that banner, in part, is that you have Adam's DNA in you. Everybody say, thanks a lot, Adam. But across the courtroom, under another banner that says perfect and suited for heaven, there's just one guy, Jesus. And we learn that even though we're indicted by this banner, Jesus stands and invites us to perfection. He says, I can give you my righteousness. I can put it under your account. Okay, we learn that he invites us to exchange our criminal hearts, our criminal records for his Christly perfection. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it, but he offers it to us. So here's the deal. Many of us now, I hope it would be awesome if each one of us in this room stand under that banner that says perfect with Jesus. That's the picture that's happening in verse 16. A whole slew of people changing banners. Right? We were born, Paul says, under this banner that says condemned, indicted. But now we've been invited by Jesus to stand with him under his banner. Perfect, suited for heaven. Verse 16, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in, and here's this glorious word that keeps coming back, justification, justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Adam dragged us under his banner, condemned. Jesus invites us under his banner, just as if I had never sinned. Whichever banner you find yourself under this morning, that is God's ruling upon your life. That is what God thinks of you. Either you can stand under the banner with Adam and say, I'll, I'll take my chances. I think I'm good enough. Or you can say, I know I'm not good enough. I need a Savior. I need your righteousness, God, so that I can come to heaven with you. Okay? So we've seen the, the results of Adam's sin. It, he infected us, sent us to this mass grave. But we see the negating results, and even more so, that Jesus is enabled, able to impute us, that is, credit us with massive grace. Number two, we've seen the ruling. The ruling. Adam's rebellion indicts us, but Jesus invites us to reconciliation, to just as if I'd never sinned. Okay, number three, let's look at these two men and what their actions did as far as who reigns in the world. You may remember verse 14, I think it is, Adam basically left us with a problem that death reigns. 
You could say Adam, with his sin, when he ate that fruit, when he began the feud, installed a new king, death. Verse 17, for if by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one. Okay, he's talking about Adam. Paul says, look, Adam's rebellion ushered in this nasty king, king death. Everybody say, thanks a lot, Adam. Before then, death was not a problem. It wasn't an enemy. It wasn't anything that we ever even thought about. For if by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, watch this though, much more those who receive abundance of grace, there's that massive grace again, and of the gift of righteousness. Stop there for a second. If you haven't been with us, another reminder. Notice it says the gift of righteousness. If you don't know Jesus, I just want to share with you the reason that I, you know, if I am self-righteous, you should hate me. But if I understand the Bible correctly, and I think I do, the reason I'm right with God is because he's given me this gift of righteousness. He's just said, yeah, you don't deserve it, but here you go. A gift of righteousness. Righteousness is not a condition you can achieve. If you've been trying, I think you would agree with me. You can't. But God's righteousness is a commodity that you must receive. Okay? It says the gift of righteousness. Much more of those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, it says, will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. This is, I think, probably the, the coolest thing of all, looking at comparing these two guys, right? Adam and Jesus. Adam, with his sin, basically ushered in a new king. He didn't mean to, but this is what he did. Uh, okay, king, death, here. You can sit on the throne. And we cower before death. Is there anything that humanity fears more than that? We cower before death. But now Jesus, not only has he changed how God looks at your sin, not only has he um, overcome this mass grave with massive grace, but I love this, what this says in verse 17 to me. Jesus walks into death's throne room. He kicks down the door. He says, get out of my chair. How awesome is that? The, the king that we so fear that wants to call us and, and make us dance and look stupid before he dispenses with us. Jesus kicks in the door and says, get out of my chair. And then in verse 17, it says that we will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. I don't know how exactly that works other than I get to sit on his lap while he reigns. Here's the thing. Those of us, it says, who've received the abundance of grace and the gift of his righteousness, we will reign in life through him. Maybe, you know, I just spoke with someone this between services. I spoke with someone who literally this week saw someone that they love stare down King Death. Maybe you this morning are staring down this ruthless heartless, cruel king. I can tell you by the scriptures and by the conversation I had in between services 
This, this king has been deposed. He's got no power over us. This is Paul, the same guy who wrote 1 Corinthians 15, that said, and, and you remember, Paul went from trouble to trouble, right? He was always constantly in trouble. He actually died one time, came back uh, from what we can tell. <coughs> Paul was the guy who writes these words, death, where is your sting? Like, is this supposed to hurt? <laughs> you imagine walking into this king's throne room and, and saying, uh, hello, yeah, I'm not scared of you anymore. That's what's going on here. Paul was talking trash to this king, death. See, Adam's one act ushered in this king, death. But Jesus' act makes us, it says, kings and priests. We are victorious over death. Verses 18 and 19 then. Let's just call them a summary, a review. A review of the reconciliation that is the bringing together of us and God the Father. That he achieved on our behalf. Verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. There's that word justification, just as if I had never sinned. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, Adam, thanks a lot, Adam, many were made sinners... So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Adam in his rebellion, he infected us with sin. He instilled in us this rebellion toward God. He dragged us under the banner that we are indicted along with him, guilty sinners. He installed death as king. So that every single person in this room... We were born into Adam's family. We're creepy. We're ooky. All of this happened, y'all, from one rebellious act. Can I ask you, where was the scene of the crime? A tree. A tree was where one man sealed our fate. Now, fast forward. We have a man who is able to turn a mass grave into massive grace. We have a man who's able to take the ruling that was upon us, condemnation, and instead let us wear a sign that says justified, just as if I'd never sinned. We have a man who's able to kick in the door on the reign of terror and death and become, take his rightful throne as the king of kings. What was the scene of the crime? A tree. The cross of Calvary. Got one last question for you as we close. Which is your family tree? It it's only can be one of two. And I can tell you, if you've never had a conversation with Jesus, if you've never turned your life over to Him, there's only one tree by default that you go to. We were all born into the Adams family. When you put all this together, it makes no, it's no surprise that Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You have to have a new family tree to get into heaven. You were born into Adam's family, feuding with God. You're just like your great, 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 great grandpappy. 
Jesus said, though, look, you can be born again, brand new, a brand new start. Have your, your family tree no longer traced back just to Adam, but traced back to the cross, to where Jesus changed everything for you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy and your goodness. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to do all that you're doing. Or that you would fill us, Lord, to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. And so that you would make clear to each one of us that which you have for us. Lord, I know exactly what you're saying to anyone who's not given their life to you. You're calling them. You're using words like free gift. You're using words like undeserved. You're showing how much you love them. And that you're not asking for anything of them than for them to turn their lives to you. You are able to give them this this commodity of righteousness. That though they've tried so hard to, to achieve themselves, they've, they've failed. And I ask Lord that you continue speaking that, Lord, to those whom you're drawing to yourself. And those who already know you, Lord, I, I pray that the thing that you're saying to each one of us, Lord, we'd, we'd hear your voice, Lord, and we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your goodness, and pray that you continue to just pour it upon us uh, liberally, bountifully. Lord, we want to be in our part of the world, Lord. We want to be your world changers. We want to be those whom you've, uh, you've anointed for your service. Thank you so much, Lord, for the faithful here, and ask that you would continue to, to encourage and to bless each one. Help us in this time now of application. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Calvary Chapel of the Lakes, we have a time of application. And um, we believe what Jesus said. He said, look, if you hear my words and that's the end of it, he says you're like a guy who builds his house on sand. In other words, if you hear them but don't do anything with them, you're like a guy who builds his house on sand. And when the storms come, and they will come, your house will fall in and you'll find yourself homeless. Uh, calamity. Okay? He says, but if you'll hear my words and you will do them, you will put them into practice. You'll actually take action. Then you're like a guy who builds his house on solid rock. And when the storms come, and they'll still come. Sorry, there's no option where there's no storms. But when those storms come, for that man, his house will stand firm, solid. Okay? We want everybody here to be rock builders, not sand builders. So we set aside a little bit of time, say, Lord, how would you have me apply this? I don't want to just go home and say, that was a, a good message. I liked it. No, I want to have my marching orders, Lord, from you. All right. So here's the the first and most important. I think it should be obvious in this text. In Adam, we are indicted. Raise your hand if you're part of the human race. Okay. Some of you, I'm not not so sure. You didn't raise your hand. Um, If you're part of the human race... That means you are, if you can trace your, your lineage all the way back to Adam. What that means is, from the get-go, from default, you are indicted. That means you stand guilty before God. That means you are under the banner that we've all stood under at one time. 
It says condemned, not worthy, not able to get into heaven. Okay, but there's a second man. In Jesus, we're invited. You can have God's righteousness given to you. Just poured out upon you. You can have this righteousness. It's a commodity that you have to receive. You can't achieve it. Most of us, if we're honest, it's really obvious to us that we can't possibly achieve it because we've tried and we weren't able to. Everybody close your eyes. This is part of what God has been telling me. He wants me to make sure that every week you have an opportunity to receive the gift of God's righteousness. That you have an opportunity to change your future. Because right now, if I'm speaking to you and you've never given your life to Jesus in Adam, you are indicted. You are condemned. You're supposed to die. You will die in your sins. But if you respond to Jesus and he's invited you, he says, whoever comes to me, I will not turn away. Okay? If you will respond to him and say, yes, I need a savior. He will give you his righteousness. He will just hand it over to you. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. It's a swap that Jesus is offering. Okay, everybody's eyes closed. If you would like to change banners this morning, instead of condemned, you want to be justified just as if I never sinned. Would you slip up your hand right now? I see that hand, sir. And I see that hand. Anyone else? I see that hand. Awesome. I see that hand. Anyone else? All right. This is awesome. God is so faithful. Here's what I want you to do. If you raise your hand, what I'd like to have you do is pray something like this after me. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray something and then I'm going to have you just speak to the Lord. Just you and Him. Something like it, okay? It doesn't need to be the exact words, but these are the ideas that you want to communicate to Jesus because He's offered you this and He's promised you He will not turn you away. Here's the first thing. You need to admit you're a sinner. I want you to say, you, between you and Jesus, Lord, I get it now. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I mess up all the time and I get it. I'm not going to heaven without you giving me your righteousness. Would you pray something like that? Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you to save me. I'll wait. All right. Next. I want you to pray something like this. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. And I believe that all of that stuff that the pastor talks about, you dying on a cross, you raising again, that you did it for me. I believe you. And I believe you're the Son of God. You died and you rose again to pay for my sins. Would you pray that real quick? Lastly, would you pray this? The Bible says that we believe in our hearts and that we confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you now pray to Him, I want to confess you as my Lord, my boss. Would you say to Him, Lord, you're in charge now. I repent. I turn in your direction. I can't do it by myself. I've, I've proven that. But God... 
I'm giving you the keys to my future. Would you pray that? Lord, I just praise you. I thank you so much for your mercy and your goodness. I thank you for these whom you have spoken to, Lord. And I pray that you would continue to make your love known to each one. Pray that you would foster a relationship, Lord, with them. That they would be continually drawn, Lord, from death into life, Lord. That they would know your presence. They would have such security in you. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all want to applaud? The Bible says... The Bible says that there are angels rejoicing in heaven right now. That those people who are like... And you're looking around, really? Over me? Yeah. Because... Yeah, you're not worthy worthy of it, right? But this is exactly what he came to do, to seek and to save the lost, to save sinners. So we could go home now, but let me give you a couple applications for those of you uh, who have known the Lord for some time. Here's one. You are infectious. I hope I don't mean literally. Maybe. Um, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Looking through applications, again, sometimes the texts are harder to find applications than others. This is kind of one of those because it's a lot of theology. But here's my point. Adam, with his one act, infected us, right? Jesus, on the other hand, with his one act, brings massive grace. Adam brings a mass grave. Jesus brings massive grace. Which one are you like, believer? Oh, oh. What are the actions that you've taken over the last week or two? What's, what's this week going to look like? You guys have heard that phrase, right? Everyone's a blessing. Some when they enter your life and some when they leave. That's kind of my point. Which are, which are you? You're, you're going to be infecting people this week. Is it with graciousness and joy and hope? Or is it with pessimism and selfishness, backbiting. Which, which infector are you resembling this morning? Okay. And lastly, and this, this may be the solution uh, if you find yourself infecting the wrong kind of way. Which one have you installed? Who have you installed, I should say, as king of your mind? Now, here's what I'm getting at. We've just taken care of some of you for the first time today, and it's awesome. You've installed a new king, right? Jesus, he's in, in charge of your whole future. It's awesome. But, but some of you Christians know, here's the deal. You can still have in your mind, who, who does it seem like is in control? Let me put it this way. If someone were to be a fly on the wall in your mind, Christian, who would they guess was installed on the throne? Because if Jesus is on the throne, he makes us kings and priests, right? He's the, the prince of peace. If Jesus is on the throne, there should be peace. But if death is still on the throne of your mind, if you will, what are you going to find? You're going to find fear, worry, stress, all of those things. If Jesus is on the throne, he's the prince of the peace. He's the Lord, it says, of the Sabbath. Here's what I'm getting at, guys. And I don't know, it might be too weird for you, but I'm trying to, to bring application here. Maybe your application today, believer. Thankfully, uh, the unbelievers who were previously unbelievers and now they're believers. You've already installed your king. But for some of us, maybe this is the reminder you need. 
Would you install Jesus once again on the throne of your mind? Realizing that he's in control of all things. If you're worrying, if you're... If you're, if you're in, uh, in a situation where you need to say you're sorry or you need to ask forgiveness or you need to grant forgiveness, all of those things, who's king? Who's king in your day-to-day, your, your mind? That would be your application this morning. Okay? I'm just going to uh, shut up finally and give you guys time to worship him in spirit and truth. But please, please do install him once again as the king who's in charge of everything that's going to happen to you for the rest of your life. Okay?